0: Hello and welcome to episode 424 of The Yellow Report. I'm your host Stefan Budzko and today we will talk about a shambolic performance against Werder Bremen and about Werder Bremen's return to the Bundesliga in general and we will preview Saturday's match against Hertha BSC and for all that and more joins me Niklas Wiltagen, who you should know from Talking Fußball, the longest running English language podcast dedicated to the Bundesliga. Niklas, hello and welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm
1: still... Um... <laughs> having a smile on my face uh, because (laughs) of what happened on on saturday was absolute madness um yeah i'm doing great and and thanks for having me on and and thanks for your kind words and uh obviously your podcast is probably the longest running club podcast that any team has had in in the english speaking language i would assume with the 400 and what was it 24 episodes
0: Yes, I have no idea how long the uh, Neverkusen podcast has been around. Shout out to them since they have so much fun things to discuss right now. I'm sure of it. So uh, yeah, for everyone who doesn't know Nick, uh, you of course are Werder Bremen fan from Stavanger. Is this how you pronounce it? Stavanger, yes. Stavanger, Norway. Uh, so um, yeah, you of course, uh, before you did talking football uh, also were, can I say editor-in-chief of the uh, Bundesliga fanatic?
1: Yeah, yeah, pretty much, I, you know, I had that
0: title. We are going way back, so which is why I'm having you on here, because uh, A, I wanted to talk to you, but also B, uh, Werder Bremen are close to my heart as well, so I thought, uh, why not talk to you a little bit about uh, Werder Bremen, but um, obviously, uh, unfortunately, uh, it did not go quite the way uh, <laughs> I thought it would go, but uh, obviously it's, uh, you know... You're happy, so at least we've got that going for us, which is nice, so we have at least one happy person on this show today. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't even know where to begin, because, of course, uh, it I... was it, it was a terrible performance overall from Dortmund. It was a strange game.
1: Uh, I, th- I think, um, I mean... If you... If you looked at the opening exchanges... Uh, Vertebrae kind of did all the right things... Uh, that you would expect from a newly promoted site... Uh, you know... The first... 10, 15, 20 minutes... You know... that they, they were na- a bit nasty and niggly in, in the... Uh, in, in the duels... Uh, they didn't allow an awful lot... Um, <laughs> of shots or... You know... Any chances... Um, I think during that time, uh, Moda Hoot was the only one who shot, uh, got off a goal shot. Yes. And uh, actually, fun note, um, towards the end of the match, uh, there was a list of the players who had produced the most shots for Borussia Dortmund being shown at the Westfalen Stadion, I read, and Moda Hoot was topping it uh, because he had one shot be- and obviously he was the first player to shoot. Um, uh, and And given that Moda was uh, subbed off after 18 minutes, that might tell you a thing or two about how the rest of the match went, because as time progressed and as uh, Brissett Dortmund had to uh, get Moda off the pitch and suddenly lost an awful lot of stability in midfield, because after De Hoot left, um, Werder had suddenly tons and tons and tons of room to, you know, in midfield... Um, <laughs> it was it was incredible, and I was watching that and thinking, "Oh my God, I do- I don't think I've ever seen a Bundesliga side, a top five Bundesliga side, be that disorganized and be that sloppy at shutting down counterattacks." Um, and to top it all off, um, the first half ended with a. <laughs> Goal scored by a boy from Bremen, but he scored it obviously from my point of view for the wrong team. Julian Brandt got a goal um, from a very low XG position. Um, and what was it was it like
0: 0.04. <laughs>
1: it was incredibly low. And um, so that happened. Um, but, you know, at that point, you think, well, yes, it's. Uh, uh, it's probably over now because you know how these things go when, uh, you know, uh, sides like Bremen, Bochum or Augsburg have a good game against sides like Dortmund. Uh, they, you know, they punch above their weight. Uh, Dortmund or Bayern or, you know, whatever other top five sides you might think of get a goal. And that sort of puts the underdog into that place and then it's only one way from here on out but uh what surprised me was that bremen got out of the dressing room and was the better side for the next 20 minutes as well in the second half um uh, could have scored from a couple of really good chances um yeah yeah i think most prominently that that
0: free kick that Kobel saved into the near corner maybe
1: uh yeah yeah uh, yeah that the definitely uh i think i don't even remember most of him's chances but the thing want to just uh, me in here Dux, uh, actually had a had a sort of half volley in, in the second half well you know i mean it wasn't necessarily uh, it wasn't necessarily that the chances were all that great but there were just you know more shots basically because what dortmund produced was uh, probably even worse and But what's funny, though, is that Dortmund seemingly had a better grip of the game from the 17th minutes and onwards, and then they got the second goal in the 77th minute, and at that point you think, well, it's over. This is
0: done. I most certainly thought, okay, it wasn't a great game, but Dortmund have it in the bag.
1: Yeah, I mean, scoring two goals from 0.1 xG? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that that is. I don't think I've ever seen a side score two goals from such a low XG in the Bundesliga. There yeah, probably a have a, a been lot matches. of crazy <laughs> shit happened in this
0: game. Yeah, like the, the, the fact that Dortmund created two goals from those low percentage shots is already uh, pretty unique. But also the fact that they managed to score two goals in a game where they only had five shots in total. Which is the fewest shots ever in the Bundesliga home match for Dortmund. Which is also <laughs> mind blowing I think a couple of uh, stat sites have it as six shots because it varies here and there, but nevertheless it it tells you a whole story about Dortmund's attacking output overall and um how Dortmund managed to uh yeah not really uh progress the ball forward in any meaningful way or sense
1: uh you know i mean well. But... <sighs> I mean one thing was was the fact that Bremen was given loads and loads of space to counter into um t- during the first hour of the match basically. But the other thing that really struck me is the fact that Anthony Modeste really seemed like a, a foreign object in that lineup.
0: Yeah, that one basically played with ten men.
1: Um I, really? I mean what 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 was it? He had like five five duels and one one of them 31 or 38, touches of the ball, misplaced most of his passes, no shots on goal, three offside positions. Um, so if you look at those stats, it, it, it tells you the story of a player who hasn't really arrived yet, uh, who needs maybe a little bit more time, or who might be an ill-advised panic buy. If he plays like he did against Bremen or
0: per se, also against Freiburg, even though against Freiburg, it looked a tiny bit better, Um, but in this game, it, it looks like one of the worst moves ever made. <laughs> and I understood the reasoning that Dortmund officials sort of gave for this transfer, but right now, and obviously, you know, you have to be a little bit patient because you had literally two weeks of training, but still, I've seen a lot of strikers come into the Dortmund system, if you will, and they at least to some extent, even though there weren't any automatism or or whatnot, at least to some extent, worked or functioned. You know, even Adrian Ramos, when he first played for Dortmund, looked much more integrated and whatnot. But uh, yeah, this is obviously so far tragic, because um, I would even say for the most part of the game, he takes away basically uh, another passing option or something, because, you know, he was completely you know you just read the stats but it's also that he was a non-factor in the build-up he did not win any headers no aerial duels not really anything that i can remember of any useful product really and the the one moment where i thought okay maybe it's now good that we have anthony Modeste in the box was when mario's wife had the ball on the right wing and could have just crossed it to the far post where Modest was lurking, but he then cut it back to uh, Bino Gittens, who uh, was immediately intercepted before he could even take the shot. And I think this is the one thing that uh, Tessic uh, actually pointed out at the news conference after the game, <laughs> saying that, uh, yeah, obviously we need to uh, have some more service toward Modest. And. Uh, that to me, of course, is uh, the, the the key problem for Dortmund is that they had zero service going forward. You know, as you said, the, the chances they created, minus the uh, Mukoko chance at the very end before uh, Brem's equalizer, uh, <laughs> there, there was just nothing really going forward. Uh, what you would even describe as a chance. So the fact that Dortmund were tuning up, of course, was very lucky. But um, you know, you can. I mean, I've, I'm i I'm still in physical pain over this game, but I'm not entirely sure whether it was because of this very shocking way to lose the game or rather the overall performance, which to me was just very painful to watch overall because even though the games against Leverkusen and against Freiburg were by no means perfect, <laughs> but this was on an entirely new level of bad that Borussia Dortmund found, and I, I'm going to dive into it uh a bit later but in the meantime maybe to just hear something positive in between what do you think Bremen did so well in order to completely negate whatever Dortmund's strategy was and i can tell you what Dortmund's strategy was in a moment but uh you first
1: uh you know i think um what Bremen did really well was that they they were really up for a lot of the duels um they were not particularly nasty in any challenges but they were really there i think christian gross actually had a uh, had a terrific game shutting down marco royce uh, and what a story that is by the way christian gross who came to verda bremen in 2018 he was bought for the second team um he was supposed to be the captain um suddenly everyone gets injured uh, in, in the first team and uh, He gets his chance and has taken it and he's never looked back. And now he's playing Bundesliga football at the age of 33. And, you know, four years ago, he was sort of looking towards a retirement plan at Werder Bremen 2. So I I think I would highlight that as one of the factors. Uh, Additionally, I do think that the movement of uh, of the ball... uh, and the you know the movement of of the during counter attacks has really been worked on for vertebrae over over the do you, summer.
0: Do you think that using Duchs and Füllkrug as wall players helps? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I know it was a rhetorical question because uh, obviously Dortmund don't have that element, unfortunately. So I'm just asking for a friend, basically.
1: I I, I you know I I can recommend it. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that the... Um, I, I think it's great to see that uh, the, the connection between Niklas uh, Fildkrug and Marvin Döksch still works in the Bundesliga as well. Um, additionally, I would also say that Leonardo Bittencourt had a really good game as a ball winner, as, as somebody who actually had those umschalt momenta, to use a, a, a Klopp term. Um, really, he, he managed to convert uh, defence into attack rather quickly. Um and then, additionally, I, you know, I, I would say that the injuries and and some some of the the substitutions that Dortmund were forced was forced to make, like getting Moda Hudov, uh, who had a decent game up until that point, and you know, bringing on Nicholas Sule, who really didn't look up for it. Those those things played into Werder Bremen's cards as well. You have to say uh, if you want to be fair. Well, yeah, uh, obviously. So. And- uh, you know, all things considered, I think it was a, it was a combination of many things. I think it was uh, great planning, a great preparation by Oliverna and his uh, coaching staff. And additionally, um, you had those substitutions that Dortmund was forced to make. You have the fact that Anthony Modeste seems like a foreign object. You have the fact that both Brian Giddens and Michael Royce really didn't happen because uh, they they were actually taken care of by. By uh, by the Bremen defenders uh, rather well, and on top of that, you have to say that Olivera must be the either you know the the manager with the best Crystal Ball of them all, or you know slightly fortunate man given that all three goals that came after the <laughs> 89th minute were actually scored by substitutes. That's that's a copy and paste job because Eden
0: Terzic just did that the week before, so maybe he he just stole. Uh it has such crystal ball uh, during halftime or something
1: yeah yeah i mean it works yeah apparently um it does <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i mean um but i mean so some of the stories um of, of you know those girls is uh, oh, actually great because of the first girl lee Buchanan. he really had to wait a long time before he could join Werder Bremen because there was a lot of back and forth because derby thought they had um triggered a clause that would extend his contract and uh you know uh, in the end, he was able to join Bremen. And, uh, wow, what a way to score your first Bundesliga goal for Werder Bremen. Um, first Englishman at, at Werder Bremen since Dave Watson, I think. And uh, Dave Watson didn't have a particularly good time at Werder Bremen. Um, I'm not not going to dive into that now. And additionally, Niklas uh, Schmidt, you have to say, what a... Uh, terrific cross by Amos um, Pieper, first of all. <laughs> Who would have thought? Uh, and second of all, Niklas Schmidt, he was actually um, supposed to be loaned out and probably moved on at the start of last season. Votabrain's uh, plan for him was, well, we have to get rid of the guy at the at the start of the, the second Bundesliga campaign, the, the zweite Bundesliga campaign that Votabrain was to embark on last season. But he was given a chance by Markus Anfang and showed himself in, in training sessions and Anfang thought, well, there is something here. And to see him score in the Bundesliga and, you know, I think he actually has an assist from, from the previous match as well. Wow, what what a story and what a turnaround. And then, obviously, Oli Berg, um, who really had a wretched time at Leipzig. Absolutely horrifying stuff uh, for him. To see him uh, score two uh, two goals in, in as many matches over the last couple of matches, absolutely terrific. And uh, wow, what a through ball by Mitchell Weiser, who um, wasn't even given a, a shirt number by, by a Leverkusen when he was still there. So yeah, um, it might tell you a thing or two about how Bremen have done their shopping this summer. Because a lot of, uh, you know, Berg, Weiser... These guys weren't really wanted by their clubs. Berg wasn't wasn't wanted by Championship Club. Um so yeah. Um uh, It you know that that those things, um those things as well really made this a very, very special match.
0: Yeah, uh obviously ESPN stats and info had the stats that uh, in the last 13 seasons of the top five European leagues (laughs) to win when trailing by multiple goals entering the 89th minute teams were previously 0 to 8,511 in losses and 18 draws. So (laughs) uh, the fact that this even happened is... It's a a first in
1: the Bundesliga as well. It is a first in the Bundesliga, yes. uh, uh, The the numbers there for the Bundesliga is that out of the... 7222 matches in which a team had a two-goal lead in the 88th minute the team defending that lead won on 7216 instances there were only five draws and now Borussia Dortmund became historic in becoming the first team who managed to lose from that position yeah and so of course Werder
0: Bremen by coming back from that position I don't know I'm at a loss for words really it, it's it's hard to comprehend as a Dortmund fan how this can happen it's sort of like trying to understand how tiny an atom is This is just inconceivable how this can happen and uh, obviously uh, the first thing the first term that was thrown around was mentality which I'm so freaking tired of at this point but I mean what else can you really say than uh, that Dortmund just Yeah, I don't know, maybe you can tell me what Dortmund did wrong there because obviously Jude Bellingham was running around like a headless chicken. Um, The entire team looked abject, Uh, there was no ball circulation, there was no control of the game really and uh, a barrage of turnovers and throughout the entire game really, um, Dortmund's turnovers almost always turned into promising chances for Werder Bremen which really annoyed me. And I had asked myself around the 60-minute mark, you know, how sustainable is it if every second turnover that you produce uh, turns into at least a shot or or something uh, where you're maybe one pass or two passes away from a really good chance. Um, but yeah, uh, Nick, you probably have rewatched this whole spectacle a couple more
1: times than I. I rewatch it in my head every every day and every second yeah Um, but uh, on
0: top of it all it's not only that it was like six minutes in the uh, where the entire ordeal unfolded no on top of it all there was like uh, an injury break there was a VAR review if I'm not entirely mistaken like a goal check so like a lot of this time wasn't even playing time Yeah, um, out of these six minutes, maybe three or two and a half were actually where the ball was like moving on a football field, which makes it even worse, <laughs> much worse. Like Marco Reus was booked for time wasting somehow in, in between.
1: Well, there you go. Um, yeah, uh, you know, I mean, my yeah, I'm I, you know, I don't have any good explanation because <laughs> you would you would think that a team I mean, might it's dot- a freak variance thing, obviously. Uh, Yeah, I think this sort of thing we are probably not going to experience happening again anytime soon. Um, Additionally, you would have thought that a team like Dortmund, despite there being uh, some youngsters in this side like Jude Bellingham and uh, a couple others... You would have thought that they were experienced enough and knew enough about football to say that, okay, we just conceded the 2-1 goal. Now, let's move a few players further back. Let's stabilize the defense. Well, they actually did
0: that. Tezic moved on to back three after the... uh, or back five after the 2-1. They actually did change systems, but it just still didn't help. Even though it worked well against Leverkusen, uh when then Dortmund switched to a back three for the final ten minutes and then uh they had a good ball of circulation and Leverkusen had had zero attacks, but uh, not so this time.
1: Yeah, I, I think that um I think that you know when you look at that cross from Armas people, I think he's fairly undisturbed. I think that he is Schmidt, entirely undisturbed. uh I think that Niklas Schmidt nobody picked him up. Um there was Marius... Emre Can,
0: who supposedly should have picked him up, but of course he's Emre Can, so he's entirely useless.
1: Um, well, I, I don't know if he's useless, but um, yes, as a footballer, yes. I, I don't particularly have yes. enjoyed him over the last couple of years. As a footballer,
0: I'm not talking about the person Emre Can. He is As a person, I'm sure he's okay, but... As Pretty a as, a, as a football player, and obviously it's the frustration speaking out of me here, but the moment you, you said when Dahoud had to come off with yet another weird shoulder injury where it just sort of popped out and uh, they could not, like, uh, with Schlotterbeck against Leverkusen, just pop it back in again and, like, two minutes later, he was back on the field. Uh, Dahoud had to come off. Uh, Like, that's already detrimental anywho because Dahoud right now is playing really, really well. Uh, But on top, to have Emre Can then on the football field is, is such a kick in the teeth, really, because he is so headless, he's like a headless chicken, running around, not entirely sure what he is doing, his teammates don't know what he's doing, nobody is quite sure what he's doing, he's not doing anything well, he is ill-positioned 90% of the time, and uh, I don't know, I I just cannot wait for the day where Emre Can leaves Borussia Dortmund, because obviously you're probably not a regular listener of this show, but... Uh, I've had it with Emre Can already a very long time ago, so this obviously is more fodder for me. But uh, god, what a shambolic performance. Obviously, he has very little playing time, so uh, being thrown in into a game like this surely isn't easy and uh, there are obviously a lot of excuses to be made. Same for Niklas Zule who just had a three-week injury and had two training sessions. Uh, since uh, playing, so obviously he did not look as good as Mats Hummels and uh, obviously uh, Jamie Bino gittens starting him. (laughs) Uh, Also in my book, not a great idea uh, because he's way too young to uh, have this much responsibility and you quite clearly saw that uh, Gittens was not uh, playing well from the beginning because he was not facing tired legs and uh, I think almost every ball, every dribble attempt that he had uh, he got picked off. The only time where he had a little bit of success was uh, the shot-creating action. I think that led to Dahoud's shot. But otherwise, I do not uh, remember much of him doing well, to be honest. And of Five course, dribbles,
1: four of them unsuccessful. Yeah,
0: so de- there you go. And of course, um, you know, when Tessich said at the news conference that there were no injuries, I rejoiced. Okay, we have maybe Oshan. Uh, Maybe see him, but it wasn't a thing. Adeyemi also still out because at the end of the day he said that this foot injury was still too painful. And then you have, of course, yet another surprise muscular injury which is, of course, Dortmund's specialty with Daniel Mahlen being out. And, uh, yeah, then uh, you start uh, with Julian Brandt and Bino Gittens and, uh, of course, up front then you have uh, Modeste, who we all discussed was uh, a complete non-factor and, of course, Julian Brandt didn't really play well apart from his goal either. So um, I would say overall there was so much dysfunction on the football field and if you watch Marius wolf for the last five or ten minutes of the game, he looked gas as well and was completely out of position, especially before that uh, first Bremen goal. He was just sort of running around uh, uh, back and forth on, on like a tiny space but never really being anywhere near anything that happened. And uh, yeah, so I I just, I don't know. It's a freak game, I hope, for Dortmund because I really pray to God that (laughs) this is not anything that's going to repeat itself anytime soon. Obviously, the football hasn't been great, but you know, on top of it all, uh, the fact that Jude Bellingham right now is in the valley of form, if you want to call it that, because he is not very disciplined tactically and he's losing a lot of balls, I think. Uh, ahead of Werder Bremen's goals he also lost the ball twice uh, especially before the winner he did um so yeah i don't know what to say really um i'm I, i'm quite livid actually with how the entire performance is but there are individual explanations for it but still i'm um, considering the the club that you are and the team and, and players you have and the capability the at least on paper capabilities they have this is still very vexing. Especially at home,
1: must be. I mean, you know, the a couple of years ago Werder Bremen bet uh, Borussia Dortmund in the Cup 2-1. Uh Leonardo Bittencourt with a long range strike, I seem to remember. And um
0: Yeah, Bremen had a couple of really almost lucky wins, I would say, against Dortmund, where they had a couple of Sonntagsschüsse, as we say in Germany, pretty much like Dortmund did it to Bremen this time.
1: Yeah, they 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 pretty much had a couple of screamers and um yeah, uh, you, uh, you know, the, the matches between Bristol Dortmund and Ferdinand Bremen have sort of been strange in terms of results. <laughs> it had, you know, this matchup has produced some strange results over the last few years. But this time around, despite things happening in the fashion that they did, you, you know, you could make a reasonable argument saying that the better team eventually won the match.
0: Yeah, no. I mean, Tessich said it himself. It was a deserved win. And that to me is actually worse than the epic collapse in the end, is that Werder Bremen, over the entire 90 minutes for me, was thoroughly the better team. Not just a little bit here and there. To me, they were dominating midfield and uh, whatever Dortmund's strategy was, which was trying to counterattack Werder Bremen, which I don't quite understand. I mean, it's a Dortmund game at home against a promoted side, even though uh, maybe Werder Bremen isn't the typical promotion promoted team whatever that means but uh more more importantly um in terms of approach to this game i'm i'm just very disappointed on 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 the entire tactic from tesic i'll be honest the uh, you know trying to you know sit a little bit deeper and then have turnovers and uh turn them into counterattacking chances maybe works against uh teams uh, of a different caliber with a different tactical approach but i wouldn't say it works necessarily against Werder Bremen and uh, the fact that Werder Bremen were playing so much on the front foot i feel like that Dortmund uh, almost played sort of into Werder Bremen's tactical approach and into their hands and that's just very annoying to me
1: Uh, especially given the fact that Werder Bremen's tactics are well known and (laughs) you know i mean there are variations from match to match and um Oliverno is a a, a guy who tweaks his teams uh, from week to week. But, um, you know, the general way of playing football is rather well known. The way Werder Bremen went into this match probably didn't come as a surprise. Shouldn't have come as a surprise to the Borussia Dortmund bench. So, you know, um, tactically speaking, yes. But, I mean, as, as you mentioned, there are many circumstances with the way the lineup looked or had to look choices that Terzic had to make in terms of the players he was feeling, and, you know, maybe putting out a team that wasn't as well-oiled, uh, as a well-oiled, as, you know, that it wasn't a well-oiled machine, um, that played into Werder in hand hands for sure, and, um, yeah, I think I think it's probably just going to be a blip for Dortmund.
0: I don't know. I mean, the the, the problem is, well, old machine as I like to call it the the lack of optimism. I think is going to be around for Dortmund <clears throat> quite for for many more weeks. Because look at Modesta. I don't think he is going to turn into the striker that Dortmund really need. Um, just within the next week or two, I I think. Um, I don't know if if this continues. Can you even play him, or do you have to change your system and and basically bench him and then uh, only bring him on when it's like desperation hour and you just really need to whip crosses into the box, etc. Because uh, you know at this point he's unplayable. <laughs> really, it's it's that bad. I would say.
1: Uh, so nobody, so nobody in the Westfalenstadion is singing "Vors immer Schützenfest, Anthony Modest."
0: No, not not quite yet. <laughs> <laughs> um but but also the fact that Charlie Oshan hasn't still featured for Dortmund uh Gio Reyna just uh when he came on in the uh how many of minute was it uh was it the 70th or so yeah so uh, around, around that, that part yeah uh he, you know it was his first minute since April and uh for that I thought he did okay-ish um Marius Wolf just uh for the first time in a very long time started as a right back uh replacing Thomas Munier, and uh, obviously there's a whole kerfuffle we can also talk about um, where he apparently, according to Bill, said that you know, all he wants to do is leave and uh, uh, then according, when when those reports were quoted by Spox, uh, I think he on Instagram said this is basically just propaganda, so saying this is bullshit, but nevertheless, um, you know, there are reports of a falling out between him and Tersich and... Uh, It doesn't seem too abstract to me that something like that could happen because, of course, uh, in his first stint under Terzic, uh, Meunier already was uh, not really in Terzic's favor uh, where uh, Mouret and Piszczek really played most minutes. And, uh, yeah, obviously the the Mats Hummels injury uh, (laughs) didn't quite help either because Hummels, until that point, is in splendid form and... uh, You know, to continue on my thought on on why it might be a struggle for Dortmund going forward, we do not know, even though there are reports that Schlotterbeck is fine after he rolled his ankle, but uh, whether he really is, I think we will find out uh, on Saturday against Hertha. I don't know how long Hummels will be out, so if you then have uh, only the theoretic center-backs that are then healthy, Kanji and Süle, uh, then you are obviously screwed already. Uh, Bellingham right now uh, not really in the form you need him to be and uh, yeah of course uh, Daniel Martin is also going to be out for a bit longer and uh, yeah Adeyemi now of course has been out for basically three weeks uh, not playing anything so uh, even though he looked sort of good in Dortmund's attack and Dortmund's attack overall looked much better with him than without him um, you know there are just so many moving parts right now that I have not really the conviction to say that Dortmund will fix their issues anytime soon. I would say maybe, um, you know, with the start of the Rückrunde, Dortmund might look more like the team that they wanted to build. But, uh, you know, especially with the uh, the sad diagnosis uh, that uh, Sebastian Allaire uh, sort of uh, suffered, if you can say that, um, I'm not entirely sure uh, how the whole complex... Is going to sort itself out. So, um, in in that regard, congrats to Werder Bremen. <laughs> Good timing, I guess, playing Dortmund right now. Um, but at the same time, um, yeah, I'm not too optimistic for the next months, especially since September is going to have uh, so many games for Dortmund. They will play twice a week, and uh, going at the rate their players get injured, I I'm already not looking forward to uh how this is going to pan out because if Daniel Malin already picks up an injury uh without uh you know, playing any heavy minutes or any heavy loads and against Freiburg, you could facetiously even say that he wasn't really uh running around a lot anyway. Um then yeah. <laughs> good 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 luck is what I'm saying. Good
1: luck. Any any good players in the under fifteens that you <laughs> might be able to use two or three weeks from now we uh, not, not quite it. yet <laughs> um, nah but uh, you know I mean I mean if we look ahead for British Dortmund yes there are many tough matches coming up I mean British Dortmund play against Leipzig they play against Bayern they play against Union Berlin uh, all of that is to happen before match day 10 mm-hmm. um, but on a brighter note they're actually meeting her to Berlin
0: when Next weekend, last probably jinxed Dortmund uh, on the last episode because he said that this wouldn't be a trap game. And as soon as you say trap game on the yellow wallpot, in good tradition, Borussia Dortmund lose. Um, but the Hertha game most certainly is a trap game because uh, Dortmund playing in Berlin usually never looks good. The last time they played there was uh, also an unmitigated disaster, maybe one of the worst games. Uh, One I of can the remember.
1: few wins on the typing Court, yes. Yes,
0: um. exactly. <laughs> I mean, it was also a backline, I think, with uh, featuring Axel Witzel. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Hertha Berlin also had a, a new addition just for that game, Is a, a special uh, instant transfer of Julian Brandt, who played two beautiful assists to them, which I hope he cannot possibly replicate. But uh, considering that Hertha Berlin looked just this tiny bit better already, I'm I'm not optimistic about any Dortmund trip
1: to the Olympiastadion. Jesus Christ! I mean, where, where are you going to end up at the end of the season by, you know, going by your? <laughs> I'm I'm pretty sure that Dortmund will pull out the are top four finish. Are you are you are you looking at you know how you can get from Philadelphia to Sandhausen? <laughs> no, I'm
0: not. <laughs> I don't think they're going I I don't think they're gonna pull a Leverkusen and get relegated, but um <laughs> Oh wow. <laughs> now that that
1: is that is a ballsy prediction. I trend. mean
0: uh, after Derek Ray tipped them to finish second, I I do not expect anything less from Bayer Leverkusen than to completely collapse. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean uh yeah, you know what when, uh, when it comes to predictions, um we usually always end up with some egg on our faces. I mean, I predicted Thorsten Lieberknecht to get fired before the winter break in the Bundesliga 2. And look at Darmstadt now, 12 points from five games. So that's not going to happen. Um, yeah, but, you know, I mean, when you look at the quality and when you look at the individual class that Dortmund has within their team, I think... What really worked out well for them in the match against Freiburg was the fact that there were that they are a superior side in terms of the individual class. You know, those three goals came basically as not not as a result of tactical superiority. It, they came as a result of you know being able to put a lot more class onto the pitch with fresh legs, whatever Terzic needed it to happen. And um, additionally, you know, some of these players being you know, outstanding compared to just fairly decent Bundesliga players playing on Freiburg. I mean, that that was pretty much the biggest difference between Freiburg and Borussia Dortmund during that match because Borussia Dortmund um, had actually, until they got that equaliser, played a horrific match against Freiburg too. Um, and, you know, if they hadn't gotten that equaliser at that point, you could very well talk about a start of the season that would have ended with three points out of the first three matches, but hey, they have six points, and you know what, I, I do think that that individual quality is going to see Borussia Dortmund win more matches than lose.
0: Yeah, that's, that's exactly my point, though, when you ask me where Dortmund will finish up. I still am confident to say it's probably going to be a top-four finish just because of that individual quality, but... um. You know the, the the big problem right now I have is that um you you talk about tactical superiority I don't remember the last time Dortmund were tactically superior really in the game um it was I on dis- the club Well no club. I mean <laughs> you, you could for example say the, uh, the the cup final that Dortmund won against Leipzig where Dortmund oh, there you go. clearly had the better match plan and whatnot but uh uh, I I mean it's it's been a while since Dortmund were tactically superior uh, in it, you know like the club times but obviously it's impossible to achieve that because there's not going uh, a big tactical revolution going on in football right now and uh, Dortmund most certainly do not have a coach that will be on the forefront of that um, no but but still obviously I'm not entirely sure what Eden Hazard is trying to do with Borussia Dortmund. Um, if it's a counter-attacking focus as it's looking right now, um, then, uh, yeah, a lot, of course, has to change uh, also in terms of, uh, you know, players that you have. And uh, I think this is also quite a problem right now that, um, you know, when Arsenal had a team that's called the Invincibles, then Dortmund have a team called the Unsellables because uh, Manuel Kanji is still on the squad. So is Nico Schulz. I think Dortmund are also um, content Let's say uh, they, if they could, they probably would sell Emre Can, They would sell Torgen Azar. They would sell Julian Brandt and uh, get different types of players. I think the same holds true for Guerrero and uh, Meunier. I don't think Dortmund are particularly happy with their um, fullbacks that they have in, in their squads. So, um, and, and of course, you have an aging Marco Reus who uh, you know e- eventually also will have to be replaced. So there is uh, a a lot of work still to be done in terms of uh, personnel but also tactical approach because right now I don't see how with the uh, game plan that you had against Werder Bremen you can uh, forge any sort of long-term success. But then again it's only match day three and uh, it's way too early to judge anything really because... uh, Let's say the Leverkusen match, for example, looked much, much better from Dortmund where um, it wasn't a tactical masterclass, of course, but at least the basics were there uh, where they uh, managed to you know, be present in the duels, which uh, you know praise Werder Bremen for. But uh, on, on the flip side of that, Dortmund, of course, won all that. And, uh, you know, maybe in the next yeah, game but, Dortmund can... But look at Leverkusen
1: her. since that match. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Yeah. But uh yeah, obviously the the start to the season this is a is a bit weird because uh Dortmund could have easily drawn or lost against Leverkusen too if it weren't for Gregor Kobel. Uh, same can be said against Freiburg and uh, of course they did lose against Werder Bremen, but uh, you know, on the other side they also could have very easily won the game against Bremen now if you have a tunnel lead in the 80th minute,
1: <laughs> you know, 89th minute.
0: 89th minute even, yes, then uh then most of the time, like uh, 8,500 times, you, you win that match. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, uh, yes. Uh, but You know, and uh, I, I think that Borussia Dortmund against Hertha Berlin, I mean, if we want to take a closer look at Hertha Berlin, the sort of side that they are, they've just replaced their coach as well. Sandra Schwarz has come in after Felix Maggot. Bless him. Um, <laughs> I, I, aren't you a big Felix Maggat fan? I mean, Felix Maggot is funny as long as he's as he's uh, not happening to your club. Yeah, as as a precisely not
0: as a like actual Bundesliga coach.
1: I mean, I do. You know, I mean, you know, sometimes people complain about footballers making far too much money. But uh, what I can say is that if any player has ever played under Felix Maggot, I think he deserves all the cash he's ever earned within his entire career even if he has played under market for just a few weeks. Uh, but anyways, I mean, Felix Maggot is gone. Uh, he managed to sh- keep them in the league, but, you know, by the skin of their teeth. Um, and now they've brought in Sandra Schwarz. They're sort of restructuring their team now as well. I mean, Derek Boyata, he's on his way out. He used to be a very important player. Rune Yarstein has been kicked to the curb after he uh, set some nasty words to Andreas Menge, the goalkeeping coach. So his contract is going to be dissolved. Probably gonna move back to Norway, I would assume. Uh, you know, so so they've been restructuring that side quite a lot. Uh, play, I think ask uh, es- was sold. I mean there's a lot lot going on and uh, Schwarz is sort of trying to find a balanced side at the moment. And um, it has been looking better week by week. Um, I think Hertha didn't allow an awful lot against uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach, but uh, the weaker side in that match, which they eventually lost 1-0 then due to a handball penalty that was, you know, what a silly handball penalty to give away. Yeah. An um, Emre Can like handball to give yeah. away. And, um they have a draw against uh, Eintracht Frankfurt and they lost the, uh, they lost, uh, the uh, Berlin derby on the first match, j 3-1 against Union Berlin, which I've seen. And uh, what my takeaway from
0: that game was that Union Berlin are a really good team, even with all their changes in Terter Berlin. Still are struggling, but I also watched the game against Gladbach and I must say it does look more improved. Uh, than anything that Hertha looked like last season, to be honest. Because they actually do have a structure now and uh, they have some tactical discipline, which is uh, something that couldn't be said about Hertha Berlin last season whatsoever. It's it's very far away from being a really good team. But that being said, as I mentioned earlier, Hertha Berlin has managed to beat Dortmund uh, as a worse side before. So I personally am, am dreading this matchup.
1: I heard heard Berlin and of a newly promoted side, so statistically speaking, Dortmund should be fine.
0: Well, funny that you should mention that because, of course, you also do follow Tobias Escher, right? I do follow Tobias. Yes, yeah, and he, he, he brought that up. He loves himself a stat when it comes to Borussia Dortmund and promoted teams, and uh, he you know tweeted after the game that uh, since the 2012 13 season, Bayern Munich won 39 of 44 games against promoted teams, uh, including two defeats. However, Borussia Dortmund in that time won 27 of 45 <laughs> games against promoted teams. So, yeah. Not great.
1: Not no. great indeed. Um, no, but I think Hertha, um, yes, they look, structurally speaking, more organized and there's more and more fingerprint of what Sandra Schwartz is wanting to Accomplished with that side coming through uh, but having said that i I do think they do struggle still a little bit too much in attack um you know you don't necessarily see where the goals are going to come from uh in that side at the moment so um yeah I, I you know i'm I'm hopeful uh for British at Dortmund that they will come home with a result from the Olympia Olympiastadion one that is better than just a draw.
0: Well, how important is uh, is it for you? Do you view Hertha as like a direct opponent for uh the Klassenerhalt?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think um I think you know, when you look at the Bundesliga right now, um you don't have any sort of obvious weaklings like Greuther Fürth in the league right about now. So there's not that not like with the in, in the Bundesliga 2 right now, for instance. You've got Eintracht, Braunschweig, and everybody agrees that they are probably going to go down. But you don't have any sort of like pushovers of that caliber in the Bundesliga this year. So for me, I think that Bochum, Hertha, uh, Schalke, Augsburg, and Bremen are probably going to be the five sides that are going to play for those. Um, and Leverkusen,
0: you know, as I've
1: already established you yeah, know i i'm not quite there <laughs> yet um, but i think th- those five sides are probably going to uh, feature in the bottom five so yeah i think Borussia Dortmund winning at the olympia stadion would be at least a little uh, a, li- a little uh, a little help from from Borussia Dortmund uh, helping Werder Bremen to to each a little bit closer to you know staying in the bundesliga
0: yeah so um obviously <laughs> I want to talk a little bit, bit about Bremen a bit more before I talk more about Hertha, so let's just do that real quick. Um, And just for people who don't know, and I feel like there there might be a lot of Dortmund listeners who have not heard the story, uh, just real quick <laughs> explain to me how it happened that Ole Werner even became the better Bremen coach, who of course now is the father of the success uh, that Werbe- Werder Bremen had because I did watch probably more second Bundesliga last season than first division because I just found the the Bundesliga so unattractive right now and uh, the second division last season to me was way more appealing so I had to watch a lot of Bremen games and under uh,
1: Markus Anfang uh, the initial coach uh, I, it did not look too good no you didn't you didn't see that coming. Um... But I mean there was an unprecedented run of wins was it eight or nine wins on in, in a row I mean you tell me um I think it was eight um but it might have been nine but anyways <laughs> I, I think um I think you know having that that unprecedented run of wins uh, at at the uh, at the start of a uh uh career as a coach that that really boosted vertebras and helped their chances but um I mean, for Werder Bremen, getting into the Bundesliga 2 was... It came as a bit of a surprise. um, Because Werder Bremen, they had like... Was it 32 points after 24 match days, So at that point, everybody was like, Okay, we're safe. Fine, we're golden. However, if you, you know, uh, take only one point from the last 10 matches, you might be in trouble. And and that's precisely what happened to them. Um, So... The club really hadn't planned anything in terms of what should we do when we go down to the Bundesliga 2. And there were a lot of players who were on big money contracts and there were a lot of questions, who's to stay, who's to go. Mm, I mean, the club had enough foresight to put a clause into everyone's contracts that would reduce wages of players by 40-60% to 60%, depending on the contracts that they were on uh if the if if the cop should be should get relegated to the bundesliga 2 so initially there wasn't really a lot not an awful lot of pressure to sell these guys directly and quickly at the first best offer but obviously werder uh being in a strenuous financial situation on top of that needed to sell as many players as they could and um uh, once they sold players they could bring in new players uh, on a lot cheaper so I think what Markus Anfang and his coaching staff really struggled with to begin with is that there was a constant streams of people coming in and out at the start of the season I mean when you look at the goal scorers of the first win of that campaign there were Maximilian Eggestein and Josh Sargent uh, who scored the goals against Fortuna Dusseldorf on match day two um and that um you know, tells you something when those two guys pretty much were sold, and the following couple of weeks afterwards. So, to be fair to Marcus Anfang, those were quite taxing conditions uh, at the start of the season. Um, and you wonder, well, was it the results that actually eventually broke, out, you know, the camel's back? Well, no, they weren't, um, because Vertebrae mother sort of. Club that keep hold of their coaches far longer than they should at times. Um, mm-hmm. What uh, happened with Marcus Anfan was the fact that uh, he produced a COVID certificate um, that stated that he was double vaccinated, and he gave it to the club, and you know, which meant that uh, at that point, people who were double vaccinated enjoyed a certain amount of easing of rules surrounding you know COVID restrictions at the time. So, uh, Arnfang could, you know, go to the carnival in Cologne and uh, not be COVID-tested week in and week out. Uh, which he ha- should have, would have had to do if he wasn't double vaccinated. You know, a little while after he had produced that certificate, the uh, district attorney in Bremen got wind of the fact that it was actually forged. He had picked dates, or the guy forging those that certificate had picked dates. And places that weren't, you know, viable options at the time. Because he was given, uh, you know, the first... Uh, according to that certificate, the first dose was set in Cologne. When Anfang was on, you know, on an away match with Darmstadt. Like 900 kilometers away from Cologne. The second was set during Werder Bremen's uh, training camp in Zillatal, which is in Austria. So you know i mean that that in itself is sloppy but um obviously he thought he could go, get away with it and you know at first when it came public when when the when the media reported about the district attorney looking into the matter he actually denied 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 but uh 24 hours later he actually uh decided to leave Werder Bremen on his own behest and uh, later it turned out that uh, all the allegations were actually true
0: it is still one of the I almost want to say hilarious story, most hilarious storylines that occurred. Uh, but uh, at at the core of it, it's actually a very serious topic and it's not really that funny at all. But <laughs> the, the fact that it sort of helped uh, Werder Bremen to sort of rescue the season and uh, be promoted back to the Bundesliga in my book is uh, almost a legendary tale, which I think will be told in... 30, 40, 50 years and whatnot.
1: Yeah, you know, he's now a denomit resident. Saxony obviously being a place where people are really serious about the vaccines. Right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Overall, Werder Bremen always, to me, stood for, you know, attacking football and positive football and and trying to uh, create more chances and outscore the opponent rather than to just sit back and uh, pray for the best like uh, Darmstadt did to just basically punt the ball up the field anytime you got a chance play some weird kick and rush and uh, you know other than that just play destructive football not so with Werder Bremen as uh, Dortmund fans just experienced in a very painful way so um, Niklas maybe just quickly but tell me um, how uh, Werder Bremen managed to keep that sort of playing style while also being still relatively
1: uh, successful First of all, are you knocking Dirk Schuster ball? Yes, I am. Oh, damn you. Um, well, I think uh, the way Berta Bremen have managed to sort of keep this sort of thing up in the Bundesliga League is actually through good, this time around, through good scouting. Um, I've been criticizing the scouting that has been done at the club over the years, over the last few years, uh, pre-COVID. I think that um, it was a big mistake to... Um, you know, think that Max Cruiser just could leave, and you could replace him from within the club. It was a big mistake to, you know, keep hold of so many old players and uh, not really bring on, on anyone in particular who um, helped the team uh, at at the time. And you know, those those there's, there's, uh, that transfer policy I think was partly responsible for them ultimately getting relegated. Anyways, I I, I think that um. Uh, keeping, I, I think that a lot. Uh, that I think that keeping hold of a lot of players from the Bundesliga two campaign, who previously played in the Bundesliga under uh, under Florian Corfold was a good thing. I think the the team mentality has grown. Additionally, I think that uh, Frank Bauman and his and the team of scouts have done a bang up job this season, finding good talent at cheap prices because. You know, looking at the financial situation of, of Werder Bremen, things are looking better now. It wasn't as bad as it was one year ago when the club was uh, going down to the Bundesliga 2. But it's still not rosy. So, um, surprise, surprise. Um, uh, Werder Bremen was looking in, you know, the uh, cheap and cheerful section of the transfer market to see whatever they could find. Uh, Oli Berg, uh, basically, free transfer, a gamble. Because, you know, you knew that he did have a lot of speed, but uh, the produce, the results he had produced in the Bundesliga, not really that impressive when you look at the numbers. Uh, Jens Starke, a great player in Denmark, but that also also is always a gamble because, uh, obviously, uh, the, the Danish league and the Bundesliga took a pretty... Completely different beast but then I think Frank Baumann did rather well in securing uh Niklas Stark and Armas Pieper strengthening the defense and um basically getting rid of Irma Toprak who uh was an important player in that Bundesliga 2 campaign but I you know I thought when he was playing for Werder in the in the Bundesliga I thought he struggled for speed I thought he was oftentimes outpaced yes great in the air and uh great tactical awareness but also far too injury prone so i think working around that getting two such high profile transfer transfers in on the free um is probably key for vertebrae when it comes to staying in the league and additionally being able to bring in and convince mitchell weiser um to um join the club after all uh, was also a good thing and um you know I think when you compare Werder Bremen to the side that went down I think there's a lot more speed there's a lot more um that there's a lot more quality in terms of the attacking potential um that this side can unfold and additionally they've been put together in a tactical setup that suits them rather well um and which seemingly both works in the Bundesliga 2 and the Bundesliga, so far at least it does. Uh,
0: let's circle back a little bit, because uh, one ex-club of Mitchell Weiser is also, of course, Hertha Berlin, who right now, yes. a- as uh, we mentioned, sit in 16th place. They have only one point so far, uh, which they won against Eintracht Frankfurt. I would say that they have slightly improved since uh, they have switched uh, coaches. And Zano Schwarz, of course, is uh, with the Mainz past someone who I think always manages to at least uh, play a well-organized team that is gritty. Let's put it this way. I do not expect any, uh, you know, uh, breathtaking attacking football from a Sandro Schwarz team, but I at least ex- expect a sol- sort of never-say-die mentality, if you will. I don't know if you can fully implement that at Hertha BC, but, um, you know, uh, for for what it's worth, I think... Um, their best two players right now are Suat Serdar in, in midfield, who uh, against Gladbach actually looked quite impressive, had a lot of uh, dribbles that went quite well uh, for him, a um, lot of playmaking from him that looked uh, quite well. And Dori Luka of course, uh, always a threat against Dortmund somehow. Um, usually the problem with Luka is that he's quite an okay, if not brilliant player, except... He's a striker and he's just so awful at finishing that I sometimes do wonder <laughs> how it happens that he still gets played as a center forward. But um, yeah, that's uh, that's what he I mean, he if does. Davy
1: Selke is one of your backup options, yeah. that's your answer. Exactly.
0: Um, but uh, yeah, that just, just goes to show how poorly composed this Hertha squad is. And uh, you've already mentioned, um, you know, their goalkeeper situation uh, right now. Oliver Christensen is in their goal. And I must say, I, I'm i not impressed. I mean, Rune Jahrstein, I'm also not impressed. I cannot remember the last time that Hertha Berlin really had a, a great uh, goalkeeper where I'm fully convinced that he's uh, maybe Gabo Kirai. <laughs> uh, but that's a very. I long mean, time if you
1: weren't though. convinced by the goalkeeping skills, you probably were in love with his, you know, tracksuit pants. But with Hertha, yes, Oliver Christensen. Um, Decent keeper, but not terrific. Defense looks decent, again, well, not they terrific. Have to.
0: they have to replace Uremovic, said his name, Philip Uremovic, because he did get sent Urimovic,
1: off. Uremovic, yeah, he got uh, two yellow cards. Yes, one for for actually going into the penalty box under that first penalty and, you know, shout a message at the penalty kick taker. And then, you know, the second forehand handball, which, um, you know... If you don't do the first thing, you don't get the red card. Yeah. Um, Must be very the,
0: vexing if you're a Hatter fan, but then again, I don't care.
1: <laughs> I, you know, I mean, if you look at Hamburg and how they're getting red cards in the Bundesliga 2, it's nothing compared to that, really. <laughs> That's but, true. Um, yeah, but I mean, all in all, if, if you look at all parts of, of that Hertha BSS, I think, as you said, it's, 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 it's an uneven squad. And really, it, the, the squad planning has been baggage's believe. Because, I mean, last season, uh, 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 but you know, by the point, last season, up until that point, Herta had been, I think, €250 million mo- Euros in the Reds in terms of the transfer spending they were having since last Vintors came in with all his millions. And they ended up with Felix maggott as their coach and Davy Selke as their main striker. Yeah. I mean, spending €250 million Euros and ending up with that combo... Something must have gone terribly wrong, and you know, I mean, I you know, I'm, I'm sometimes am um, a bit of a habit to to make David Selke jokes because I think he's not a particularly fantastic great player, but by all well, means, he's decent at Bundesliga level, nothing more, nothing less. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you end up with that combo. It just speaks to the fact that there have been so many cooks trying to you know, implement and no vision whatsoever. And that shows on the pitch, because what you get in terms of performances and what you get of playing types, nothing seems to match. And, you know, any coach who came at at Hertha last season really didn't know what to do with Seward Serda at all. <laughs> I mean, he was playing all around the pitch besides his best positions. I mean, the the only position that he didn't play uh, where he isn't particularly good was goalkeeper. Um, So, yeah, I mean, Hertha has been a mess and Zandra Schwarz has somehow tidied that up a little bit. Um, But, you know, I mean, it's going to be a very, very long season for them. And knowing the club, if they're not going to get results very soon, Zandra Schwarz might actually be on his way out again. Because, you know, when you spend that sort of money that they have spent over the years, you do expect a little bit more than just that one point from three matches.
0: What what always strikes me is that, in theory, they have also good players. I mean, Tuzar, for example, is is the number six that I really rate. I think he, uh, on paper at least, is a really good ball winner. But, um, you know, it's... <laughs> it's not quite working out for him the the way it should. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, I don't think their their fullbacks Jonjo Kenny and Mitchell said, are particularly good. Uh, Mark Oliver Kempf uh, as a centre back, um, also not my entire favourite. Um, Sunjic, okay, um, I don't know, also also not a great player. But Ceda and Suzar, I think uh, you at least have a strong midfield. Um, Juke and Kanga, I don't know, still still too unknown to me to really uh, see what they're going to do um, same with was, of course uh, who I think is a decent player um, who they signed from Mainz but he also does not look very integrated yet and uh, I mean Jovetic, uh, in theory also a really good player <laughs> and then of course they have the uh, aging corpse of Kevin Prince Boateng that sometimes still makes appearances um, so overall um, yeah it is, it is a very weird team and uh, the, the main reason Dortmund must win this game is that Mark Schwitzky came out with the ultimate insult for Dortmund, because he called Dortmund a rich man's Hertha basically, <laughs> and this cannot stand, and hence Dortmund must absolutely eradicate this shambolic club and team. And I hope that they will, however they do it, pull out a four nothing, five nothing win. As you know, since Dortmund do have the individual talent, they might still do it but um yeah is i i cannot for the life of me predict what kind of game is going to unfold because i do not know who exactly is still fit enough to play and in what kind of formation and state don't will uh, arrive in berlin because they have uh, as i said before so many uh players that are either out of form um injured or uh, haven't really Featured yet, say like Niklas Zulu or, or Achan, where uh, I don't even want to make a prediction whether they're going to play or not.
1: I mean, Zulu could replace Modest up top. Yeah. Um, but at the rate how we're going. Yeah, I was
0: joking to a friend in the, in the chat that you might have just kept Zagadu and played him up front and it would have been cheaper than getting Modest.
1: Yeah, I mean, Zulu actually. Uh, wasn't he a striker in his younger
0: days? So I'm am I'm am I confu- confused. I think he, he used to
1: be a striker way back in the day, but most. Players I mean, and that was like his youth days. Yeah. Uh, that is we like talking. Never as a professional. Um. Uh, yeah, but I mean, uh, what what I can tell you about this match is that Per Tebessi are probably going to park the bus. Yeah. Um. I think they're probably not going to be as attacking or as uh, you know happy to press as Verder Bremen was against British Dortmund. And I mean that might make things in terms of creating goals even more difficult than it was against Werder Bremen. But on the other hand, I think I think Dortmund actually because
0: Dortmund have such a poor build-up right now and such a poor structure when it comes to their positional play and their possession play is that they are actually a bit more comfortable against teams that sit really deep because that way Dortmund can at least play the ball around their own ranks without uh, too much pressure in their face and and thus sort of creep closer to goal, Um, which, uh, if you remember, did not quite work out at all against Bremen, because before they even managed to uh, enter the half spaces or the final third, they usually had lost the ball already. And there were very few combinations on the counterattack that Dortmund actually did pull off, and uh, the one... Very late, they pulled off was also more through a fluke because it deflected off a Bremen player um, <laughs> rather than anything else. So um, I I actually think that uh, Dortmund playing against uh, a team that really parks the pass helps them, if I if I'm frank, which doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to be a, a drubbing, but uh, you know it's just also if you play modest and you have to rely on a lot of crosses because Hertha might force you to do that. Um may- maybe that way you can beat a Hertha Berlin. Which of course I do not know if uh Terzic is going to play um Modest again because uh who knows? Uh it it seemed at least to me that he also rewarded the good performances from the Freiburg game by handing starts to Bino Gittens and uh Mario Swoev, which I think at least in Bino Gittens's uh yeah. Case was a bit ill advised, but uh, you know, you of, of course gotta make these experiences as well. You know, Tess is still a relatively learn. unexperienced coach, and uh, by no is, of course a, a player for the future that can already change things in the present but uh, isn't quite on a level yet.
1: You live and learn, you live and learn. Yeah, yeah, I, I, you know, I was going to say that um, with her to parking the boss, it, um it at least means that. Borussia Dortmund probably are not going to be uh, caught out by surprise as many times mm-hmm. as they were against Borre Bremen. But um, I mean, it a, a lot of depends on how well Herta is parking that bus, how many chances they are going to allow Borussia Dortmund to create, and um, you know, having watched Herta, I would believe that they at least somehow give away a few chances and um that in itself should be enough for a team with Borussia Dortmund's quality to score the decisive goals. Um so yeah, I mean if if I, you know, if if I was a batting man, I you know, I know where I would put my money.
0: I would love that. Uh so yeah, Nick, uh I think we can knock it on the head here. Uh I'm sure there are more Dortmund things and Bremen things to discuss, but uh you know i don't want to use up too much of your time so <laughs> we're almost <laughs> it's getting kind of late here yeah yes. it is um. so uh thank you so much for coming on and uh, lending your expertise and of course uh, shining a bit more of a light on Werder bremen but um you know as much as i would love to plug all your talking football work i assume you are better at it yourself so i would just say uh uh, feel free to plug anything and everything that you want to plug, and uh, with that, we shall end the yellow pod for this week.
1: Well, thanks, Stefan, and thanks for having me on. Our oh, truly pleasure. Uh, lovely to be back. It's it's been a long, 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 long while. Um, well, I mean, uh, if you want to get into talking foosball uh, on a regular basis, just follow us on Twitter at Talking Foosball, uh, where we put out all, you know, the most recent episodes and stuff. And since this is a B4B podcast, I think uh, a lot of you guys, if you haven't heard about Talking Foosball so far, are going to be interested to learn that we actually did a tiny mini series this summer about Bruce Dortmund. And it's history from the 90s and onwards until the end of the club era. Uh, and that miniseries you can find uh, in our pod feeds uh, was published in July, uh, shortly before the start of the Bundesliga season. So if you want to dive into so, that. So, that so, records- so you have
0: started sort of
1: at the 90s and went backwards? We started in the 90s and went forwards uh, ah. and stopped with Jürgen Klopp. So we Interesting. talked about how the club rose from you know being a sort of mid-table club to become a club that won the championship twice on the bounce, uh, won the Champions League, and how megalomania really ruined the club almost and how the club then bounced back under Jürgen Klopp. Uh, that was me and Terry DeFellon, who also has written a book about Borussia Dortmund and who is, uh, you know, uh, regularly on Talking Foosball. Um, So that might be of interest to you. And, um, yeah, if you want to know about all my other projects, and I'm not going to bore you with all of them, uh, just (laughs) follow me on Twitter, at Norm Musings.
0: Yeah, an account I can, of course, recommend. And, uh, yeah, you should absolutely uh, buy Terry's book, which you can buy at ockleybooks.co.uk. It's called Borussia Dortmund, A History in Black and Yellow, and uh, I can't wait to, to finish reading it, because as I said to you before uh, we started recording, I cannot uh, listen to your mini-series yet, which of course uh, sort of revolves around the book, because I first want to finish reading it, but uh, I've started reading it, but uh, I think I'm like three, four, five chapters in or so, uh, but then uh, I loaned it out to my neighbor, and I haven't received it back yet, so uh, yeah, this is partly on me I would say but uh yeah there is certainly interest in the book and it's uh well written as far as I can tell um t- Terry I think uh sort of uh, writes in a sort of ego perspective almost and uh has a couple of really funny quips in there so uh I think if you are still maybe a relatively new Dortmund fan so um this is certainly the book to have uh and on your shelf so uh yeah go ahead and buy it but in the meantime uh Thank you so much for coming on, Niklas. It was uh, great to have you on and uh, learn more about Werder Bremen. And uh, unfortunately, uh, not in the context I wanted, but <laughs> <laughs> that is uh, as fate is sometimes. Um, in the meantime, you can follow me at StefaBotsGo on Twitter. You can follow all of us at Wallpot And of course, please, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Yellow Wall, where you can, of course, find the BVB update. Now, obviously, I didn't do anyone uh, this weekend, uh, partly because I was enjoying some uh, sun at the beach and also I did not feel like doing anything (laughs) double-related because it was just too painful this weekend. And, uh, you know, it's a hobby, not a profession. So if I don't feel like it, I'm not doing it. (laughs) But still, uh, please subscribe because uh, I still try to keep everyone updated on current B4B news. As always, uh, thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.
1: Bye.